Hello and welcome to the Prostate Pod, a conversation about prostate cancer, brought to you by the charity Prostate Cancer Research, dedicated to funding the science needed to beat this mass killer. My name's Ben Munro-Davis, I'm a trustee of the charity, and my father died of the disease in 2015. Today's guest is Professor Ian McEwen from the University of Aberdeen, who runs one of 11 projects supported by PCR. His project receives £130,000 a year and is working on developing new ways of targeting something crucial to the spread of prostate cancer, the androgen receptor. Bear with us, all will be explained. Our conversation sheds light on this crucial research, but also reveals the huge collaborative effort going into it, the patients required, and above all, just how important the donations made to prostate cancer research are. Without it, groundbreaking works of discovery such as Ian's might simply never happen. But first, the work itself. I asked Ian, what exactly is the androgen receptor? The androgen receptor is a protein that is found inside cells and it can be thought of as the gatekeeper for testosterone, which is a steroid hormone that circulates in the body. And it needs to bind to the androgen, the hormone testosterone needs to bind to the androgen receptor in order to have its function in different cells in the body. And does does every cell have an androgen receptor? Is there an androgen receptor in my toe, in my brain, in my lungs, in my prostate, everywhere? Um, not quite everywhere, but actually it is fairly ubiquitous in the body. So it's certainly found in the brain, it's found in lung, in the kidney, um, in bone, muscle cells, as well as reproductive um, tissues such as the prostate. And why is the androgen receptor fairly central to the spread of prostate cancer? So the androgen receptor is, is important in prostate cancer um, because its normal function is for the development and growth of the prostate. Um, so the prostate is this gland which is located uh, just below the bladder um, surrounding the the uh, urethra, the, the tube that um, excretes urine from the body in, in men. And androgens and androgen receptor are important for the development and normal function of the prostate. And basically that function gets hijacked by the cancer um, so that the androgen receptor um, becomes a driver for the growth of the, the cancer. So the androgen receptor is really important to, work to, to for the prostate to work properly. Uh, and then the cancer does something to it which uh, sends it skew whiff, if you like. So, so now it gets a little bit complicated. It, initially, it doesn't necessarily do anything to the receptor. It just sort of um, usurps its function. Um, but as the, pro the cancer grows and develops from maybe a hormone-sensitive state to a hormone-resistant state, then it can change the actual protein itself. Okay, though you're being you're, you're explaining it very very clearly because I can understand so far, and I can tell you that's quite a challenge. Uh, uh, the last science I did was age sixteen, uh, oh. chemistry O level, I think. So uh, you're doing a fantastic job. Okay, um, thank you. So so you're focusing on the, on the, on this androgen receptor, and the the androgen receptor is very important in hormone treatment, which is probably the main treatment for prostate cancer. Could you could you could you explain a bit more to our listeners about that? Yes, certainly. Um, so, so 
the, the sort of frontline treatment for, for prostate cancer is androgen deprivation therapy, it's called, or ADT. Um, and this actually stems from work from the 1940s uh, by two American scientists who, who found that if the... Um, in, um, blocked the production of testosterone in the body or inhibited how the receptor functioned, it was beneficial for, for men with prostate cancer. So, so a frontline treatment for prostate cancer is um, androgen deprivation therapy, which is basically giving drugs which will stop the body producing testosterone. And then following on from that, you can have other drugs which will specifically target the androgen receptor and switch off its activity. So that stops the, the, the testosterone getting to the cancer. Um, my father had prostate cancer and sadly died of it, um, and, and he had that treatment. Uh, and it worked very well for a while, but the problem is it stops working. That's correct, yes, yes. Um, so, so basically... Um, after possibly about 18 to maybe 24 months, um, certain um, tumours will become what are called um, resistant or hormone resistant. So they, they become resistant to the, both the androgen deprivation therapy and the antiandrogens, so the two types of drugs that can be used. Um, the good news at the moment for men with prostate cancer is that there are second and third generation of some of these drugs which are thought to continue to work even when the tumour becomes resistant to the first-line therapies. And, and, and these tumour-resist, these, these, these um, androgen-resistant tumours, uh, mm. are they um, learning to live without testosterone or are they finding the testosterone in another way? Um, that, that, that's an excellent question because because it's a little bit of it's a little bit of both in the sense that um, instead of so so maybe I should have said at the beginning that the in men the main source of testosterone are the testes um, and the androgen deprivation um, therapy drugs um, basically they block the signal from the brain to the testes to produce testosterone. Um, However, it turns out that the prostate itself can produce some testosterone locally. Um, and so there are other drugs such as abiraterone, which is a, um, a sort of second-line therapy to block the production either from precursors from the adrenal glands or from the prostate cells directly. Um, so, so, yeah, so the tumour can produce its own testosterone, or it's thought to, and that can be blocked by drugs like abiraterone, but also the, um, there are changes in the receptor which affect the ability of um, antiandrogens such as bicalutamide or enzalutamide to function properly. Um, the interesting thing is that the cancer cells still seem to be dependent upon the androgen receptor. So even though they're resistant to this therapy treatment, the androgen receptor is still thought to be a driver of cancer cell growth and progression. So, in a way, if you can target the androgen receptor, you might be able to, you know, you might be able to have more impact. And I guess that's where your work comes in. 
Um, exactly. We're, we're trying to look at new ways of how we could switch off the receptor um, under these conditions where the, the tumour has become resistant to um, standard, standard of care androgen deprivation therapy and some of these anti-androgens that I've, I've mentioned, uh, such as biclutamide and enzalutamide. And is that the research that prostate cancer research is currently funding? It is, yes. One of the, the um, what we think might be an Achilles heel of the receptor is that part of the protein which is not directly involved in binding either testosterone or antiandrogens is actually very essential for how the protein works in cells. And so our approach has been to try and target that part of the protein. Um, so it's a, it's a different approach from what um, has, is currently available in terms of anti-androgen treatments. And the, the prostate cancer research uh, funds this research. Um, how long? How long will you be working on it for before you go to the next stage? And what is the next stage? Right. Yeah. So, so that's that's the that's the the million dollar question. Um, so currently, we're being funded by um, by prostate cancer research for three years. And we're just one year into the to the project. Um, the project's actually built on about five to six years previous work on trying to identify small molecules which will target this separate part of the androgen receptor. And what we're hoping to achieve with um, the funding from prostate cancer research is, is two things. One is we hope to develop our small molecules so that we better understand what chemically is important about these inhibitors and make them more drug-like. And we're also um, aiming to develop novel what are called biologics. So these are protein-based drugs. Um, and this is in um, collaboration with a local biopharmaceutical company here in Aberdeen called Elasmogen. And so then we're hoping to combine these two approaches, the small molecules and the novel biologics, in order to switch off the receptor. We, we hope to, to be able to describe what's called a lead candidate. In other words, the best chemical structure that we can identify at this stage um, that is likely then to be the basis for future drug development. And secondly, we hope to identify these novel biologics which will bind to the receptor and hopefully work in conjunction with our small molecules. I'm sure some of our donors will be listening to, and it's very important we explain to people some of the, the timescales involved in research. And also I'd like to unpick some of the funding issues there as well. But but you basically, Certainly. is it fair to say you've been working on something for six years, you've got another three years, and then I imagine there's some more years after that. Yes. So so the actual drug, if, if you look at um, a so-called drug discovery pipeline, um, it can take anywhere between 10 and 15 years to actually get um, a drug that um, is, has, is, is ready for, for going for regulatory approval. Um, and, and we're just at the sort of early stages of this. So we're at what's called sort of preclinical uh, drug development. So we hope to have, a, to have these molecules, the small molecules and the biologics, um, 
we hope to have some preliminary um, in vivo data. Um, we, we collaborate with with um, with a group in Rotterdam for for, for some preclinical studies, um, and altogether we hope this will then make a. Uh, what's called a data package that we can then go and get further funding to continue the to the the, the process. Um, the other thing, actually, very important, I should have said that this is a collaboration between my my group and the group of Dr. Craig Jameson at the University of Strathclyde, and Craig is the medicinal chemist, so he's the um, he, he's he's the 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 chap who can do all the chemistry that we need to make this project happen. And this is um, uh, a collaborative interdisciplinary project. You're really giving us a great sense of the enormous um, combined effort it takes Mm. uh, and the time it takes to to, to find new treatments. Uh, Can can I just ask you a personal question? I mean, I I find it very impressive and slightly bewildering as a journalist who's used to dealing in 24-hour deadlines. Uh, Do do you you dare to think about the the end game or do you you have to condition yourself to live day to day? Um, Actually, a little bit of both. Um, so, so obviously, there's the day-to-day management of the proj- uh, project. Um, um, in fact, later this afternoon, I'll have a I'll have a Teams meeting with Craig, who's in Glasgow, um, to to discuss the project, and also with the biopharmaceutical company Elasmogen. Um, so, so we do have to think sort of um, short term, um, but it's also important, I think, to, re- to think in, in the long term what our actual goal is um, and how we're hoping to achieve that and, and sort of also not to lose sight that we're hoping to actually improve the, um, the quality of life for men with uh, prostate cancer. We'll come back to that in a second. Uh, and let, let's talk about, you mentioned the million dollar question. Um, I, I'm sure much of your life is is, is looking for money for your uh, brilliant work. Um, what sources of funding are available to you? Uh, is, is there any state funding, for example, for research? Um, yes, there is. So um, in this particular case, um, I mentioned that some of the preliminary work before we went to prostate cancer research, um, it was actually part of a PhD studentship um, in my lab, which was funded by the um, the Research Council BBSRC. That's the Biological and Biotechnology Research Council. Um, so that's government funding. Um, so they funded a PhD studentship, um, which was for three to four years. And that led allowed us to do some preliminary um, drug screening. And that's where we got our HIT compounds, the, the, the two chemical molecules that we've been trying to take forward in the current project. Um, we've also got, um, there's also various schemes by the Medical Research Council, which is one of the other large um, government agencies that fund science in the UK. And in a separate project, um, not related to to um, identifying inhibitors of the androgen receptor, we had funding from the Sc- Scottish government through the chief scientist's office um, to characterise point mutations that arose in the androgen receptor um, as the tumour goes from hormone sensitive to hormone resistant. Um, 
state. So there's some, so there's the, the, the supplies of state funding, and then I imagine um, in your partnership with the the biotech company, if if that's the right description, uh, there's some private there's some private money as well from from the commercial world. Um, th- there is a potential for that. At the moment, the collaboration with Elasmogen is a sort of no-cost collaboration. So um, they- they're basically providing the technology platform for the discovery of the biologics, um, but all the consumables and characterization of those molecules is being paid for by the Prostate Cancer Research um, Grant. So I was going to come on to that. How important is charitable giving to to your research? It's certainly extremely important. Um, So we also have funding, apart from national organisations such as Prostate Cancer Research, um, we also have uh, funding from local charities um, called Friends of Anchor, um, who also fund um, sort of cancer-related projects. So, so I would say that it's very, very important the the funding. So basically, without the the, the for the kind people who support our charity, your work would be in big trouble. Yes, um, it would be um, it would be harder for us to to do the kind of um, we're kind of at the interface of sort of discovery science and translational science. Um, it would be very, very difficult to do that kind of research without the donations of people um, to organizations like prostate cancer research. And can I just ask, what, what, what does, why doesn't big pharma step in? Is it, it, I mean, there are all these big companies with, with billions of pounds of R&D budget and stuff like that. Is your work just too uh, embryonic to get their interest? Um, I, th- I think that that's a good way of, of putting it. I mean, we have had discussions in the past with certain um, big pharma companies um i um, i don't think i'm allowed to say who but but we did have those kinds of discussions um and they looked as if they were going to be interested but then they either they have a change of strategy or as you say our work is too embryonic for that to for that to be of interest to them at the moment um i mean hopefully with the current funding we have and the progress we're making on the project, there'll come a stage where um, we will be able to attract big pharma because um, ultimately we would have to do a clinical trial. If, if for example, our, our work does lead to the development of a new small molecule or biological um, inhibitor of the androgen receptor, um, that will have to be filed before any regulatory approval is is given and to to carry out the kinds of trials that would be necessary we would need the um, involvement of big pharma at that stage well anyway that's a fantastic explanation to our listeners and to our kind donors of why why their money is so important that this sort of a crucial early research just couldn't happen without it. Um, let's just finally talk about the disease itself. Uh, do, do, have you always been interested in prostate cancer? What, what drew you to it? Is it just a coincidence that's the science you're good at? Um, but but what, what made you end, end up doing prostate cancer research? Um, I guess it, it came about because of my interest in, in the sort of more fundamental interest I have in um, androgen receptor and steroid hormone action. Um, so I'm a, I'm a biochemist by, by training. 
Um, and throughout my career, I've sort of worked on sort of fundamental questions of what, what, how does the shape of the androgen receptor protein determine its function? And it was through this sort of fundamental research that it became apparent that this part of the protein that is not normally thought to be a drug target might actually be a very good drug target. Um, we would just need to have slightly different ways of identifying the small molecule inhibitors. So I guess I came at it from a more fundamental research um, question. I, I wanted to know what the shape of the androgen receptor protein was. And our discoveries in that area led to the possibility to translate those findings into more clinically relevant research. And do you have any contact, is it important for you to have some contact with patients? Um, that, that's a good question. Um, so I, I believe it is. Um, and so, for example, we had the Q&A session that was done on Zoom that was organized by Prostate Cancer Research last year. Um, and I think it's very important for researchers such as myself to take part in those um, events, um, both to get questions from from patients and their family families, but also to hear what they think of the research and what the problems are that they face rather than the problems I think are important from a scientific point of view, if, if that makes sense. So I think it's very important to have this link with patients. And then a personal question just to end with, how aware are you? I mean, uh, without being rude, you're, you're, you strike me as like me, somebody who's um, entering the range where prostate cancer begins to get interested in you. Mm -hmm. uh, um, how aware are you of the disease as an individual? Um, well, I, I guess I'm aware of it. I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think too much about it um, from a personal point of view, although it is in the back of my mind, shall we say. So, so, so yes, you were, you were very diplomatic there, Ben. Um, I guess this, this year I, I approach a, a significant birthday, shall we say. Um, and so I am kind of um, conscious of it. I, I guess I'm conscious of what some of the symptoms are. So that, that's important as a first step, because in the UK, we don't have routine screening for prostate cancer, which they have, for example, in the in the US, it's much more common to to have um, a PSA or prostate specific antigen test. Um, however, I am aware of what the some of the um, plenary symptoms can be, and then whether you should then go and see your GP. Well, first of all, sorry to raise the uh, sensitive raise the sensitive subject once age <laughs> and uh, prostate cancer, but I think it's important on this podcast. <laughs> Part of it is to get people Absolutely. to talk about this more. That, that, that's almost as yes. important as uh, the work you're doing. And final question, I promise, uh, we, we can't not touch on the pandemic. Um, yes. that, that's had a, I mean, I've interviewed a lot of people about this, and it has had a big impact on research. Has it set you back a little? Um, it, it has. So, um, the, the, so apart from Craig and myself who, who lead the, the, the research, um, there are two other people who are employed on the, um, the prostate cancer research grant. Um, one of them 
hadn't been appointed last year and they were just appointed at the end of the year and have just started. Um, so that's that's positive. But the person um, in my lab was actually appointed um, a year past in November. Um, so in March last year, the university completely closed down um, all research, all teaching went to online. Um, and so that person had to be furloughed for three and a half to four months. So, so, so basically we did lose those four months in terms of the research. So there, there was some analysis we could continue um, remotely, but we obviously couldn't do the experimental work. And then once we got back, um, we're working on a very strict shift system so that the footfall in our research institute is kept to a minimum and that people can observe the two-metre social distancing. So, so, so there has been an impact on the research, and but we're we're trying now to catch up and and just um, the the good thing is that the research is going ahead at the moment. It's still allowed to continue as long as we observe um, certain restrictions and, and protocols. Well, well done for keeping going. I, I can imagine it's been a, a real headache and a, a big stress. And, and thank you very much for all the work you're doing. And thank you very much for talking to me. Um, it's a pleasure, Ben. Yes, thank you very much. You've been listening to The Prostate Pod with Professor Ian McEwen of Aberdeen University. To find out more about the wonderful work supported by Prostate Cancer Research, go to our website. It's prostatecancerresearch.org.uk. The music is Sweet Vermouth by Kevin MacLeod. I'm Ben Munro-Davis. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.